At this time, I'd like to invite any children who are headed to a time of kids' worship. It's available for ages three through second grade. Um, Miss Sue is over by the exit over here. It's held over in room uh, nine. Is it over room nine? Over room six, I'm sorry. Um, So it's over on this side. Just a note, if this is your kid's first time going, please go with them the first time so that they can get information to contact you if, if, if there's an emergency. Well, I have the delight of reading the scripture today and hearing my mentor and pastor preach. So I'm grateful to have Herb here filling his pulpit and this pulpit um, here and to be able to learn from him. Our scripture reading today, excuse me, comes from Acts uh, chapter 1, um, verses 4 through 8, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'll begin with Acts 1, 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they met together. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Turning to chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the good news that your gospel goes forward. And it is the truth that each of us needs to understand and receive to come into relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we hear from your word, that you would bless Pastor Herb as he shares uh, this message, and that you would strengthen us for a life of following you, receiving your grace, and extending it to a world in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, that's great to be with you today. It's good to see so many familiar faces. It's also great to see some faces that I'm not familiar with. Uh, The Lord is blessing, and I'm so glad for that. Um, The only thing that has changed is this pulpit has gotten shorter. I don't 
I, I don't. Where are you, Mark? I can't. There, you know I had to say something, right? But it's certainly not my pulpit. It's the Lord's pulpit. And I'm so proud of you and what you're doing, Mark. Um, I'll be bringing a message to you today from the uh, most missions-oriented book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And uh, it's appropriate for me to do that. I mean, one of the challenges of a guest minister is what do you preach on? What is the topic? And so uh, the message today will be a missions-oriented topic for several reasons. One is, as I hope you, you're familiar, you, you get your, uh, your Thursday, what is it, the Thursday email announcements. Um, there is an announcement from uh, our denomination that November has been designated as the 30 days of prayer for global missions. And you can go on that, you can go to your, your website and see that, their website, or you can just take one of the uh, um, calendars on the back table. I, I picked one up. Um, I've been uh, praying through those. Um, today's prayer is simply praying for um, the, the uh, Casa Josefina in Cusco, Peru. Some of you have been there. Um, there's a missionary, uh, missionary that is caring for 20 abandoned babies. And that's, that's the only request that's made for this day. So it's very easy for you to be praying each day for those things. And thousands of us around the country in the PCA will be praying those prayers. Um, secondly, uh, although I am retired as your senior pastor and, and pa Pastor Emeritus, I, I, many of you do not know that I'm actively involved still with the missions committee. I am thankful for that opportunity to stay connected. I'm excited about what the committee is doing. There's some new members on the committee. Uh, you've heard about Operation Christmas Child and the, the, how this church is going to be so involved with that and how even this afternoon. Um, also, um, there's some innovative ideas. There's some new members and some new ideas that we as a committee have. And, and uh, we will be planning uh, Missions Emphasis Sundays for February and probably in April. So I hope we'll be, you'll be hearing about that um, in, in, as soon as we get all those things settled. Um, but in some ways, every Sunday should be a Missions Emphasis Sunday. We are all on mission and I'm going to be sharing today with you from the text that Mark read from us, the most spectacular Missions Emphasis Sunday described in the Bible, the day of Pentecost. And I don't take the word spectacular lightly. The day of Pentecost, the story that's described, the historic event that's described in Acts chapter 2 is a big deal. Things happened on that day that never happened again. But it was the beginning of something that continues to today and will continue tomorrow. For the first time in the history of redemption, there was a gathering of people from all worlds, all the known world had come together and heard the message of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter preached, and I don't have time to go into that sermon, it's later in, you could, I'd love for you to read it uh, some other time this week. Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. 
It's the greatest evangelistic uh, event that's described in the Bible. And it is the day of Pentecost. But before, but before I, I get into the text, I want to have one caution with you. You know, people look at, at Acts chapter 2 and they see this the word tongues and they all, all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to get into a debate about whether the gift of tongues exists today or whether the gifts of tongues is the evidence of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Please don't get distracted today with that. If you're going to get into that debate, this is not the text for it. You should, you should go to 1 Corinthians 12 or 14 if you want to talk about that issue. But there's something more important than that here, much, much more important. And I, and I like a big idea um, in a sermon, and my big idea is this. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and begins empowering believers in Jesus Christ to be, world, to be a worldwide witness. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to work in individual believers for there to be a worldwide witness to Jesus Christ. Now, the word Pentecost is a Greek word. <laughs> the Jews wouldn't have used it. It really means 50th day in the Greek language. To the Jews, that day was called the, fest, the Feast of Weeks. It occurred seven weeks after Passover. And it was a required pilgrimage feast. That's why so many were there in the temple to hear Peter give his great sermon. They were there to celebrate the wheat harvest. But for us as believers in Christ, Pentecost is an epic event. Again, I don't want to use this word lightly. It's an epic event that begins a worldwide movement of bearing witness to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a term I'm sure you've heard over and over again, the saving work of Jesus Christ. We don't just believe in Jesus. We believe in his saving work. We believe that he was God who took on flesh, who came and lived a perfect life. He kept the Ten Commandments perfectly and then died on the cross as the perfect Lamb of God, but then rose again and sits at the right hand of God the Father even now. He accomplished all that was required for, our, for salvation of sinners. Jesus completed that work once for all. Work accomplished. But that work needed to be applied to human hearts. And that application required the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Reformation leader John Calvin is considered the great theologian of the Reformation. I know most people connect other things with him, but he, he talked about the Holy Spirit more than any of the other reformers and wrote about it. Let me quote two, two things that he said. First, quote, First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and is of no value to us. He remains outside of us. And he summarized the ideas with this sentence, and I think this is really a cool summary of what he teaches and what we should understand about the Holy Spirit. Quote, 
the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectively unites himself to us. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. They are bound together. The Holy Spirit binds Christ to your heart and to your mind and to your life. And that happened uniquely on the day of Pentecost. I want you to understand that. Now, if, if you look at it, it's kind of hard to, to get it all when you just see one sentence at a time. If you read it in your own Bibles, in your own time, there's all these things happening. If you continue to read chapter 2, there's all these other promises. And, and Peter, in his sermon, is going to have three different um, texts, main texts from the Old Testament that he's going to talk about. You know, he's going to talk about from Joel and the, whole, and the pouring out of the Spirit and all these things. But anyway, um, the disciples are told privately by Jesus, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Till you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so what do, they, what do they come up with? They come up with this great question. Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> they see Jesus' vision is really tiny. Do you know how tiny Israel is geographically? I think it's about the size of Connecticut. It's really a small place. They were thinking small. Jesus doesn't even, doesn't even respond to their question. He says, instead, he says instead that he is going to proclaim that this is a worldwide vision. They will not understand, they will not comprehend that vision until the Holy Spirit comes enlightens their minds, and motivates their hearts to, into action. Now, I said Pentecost is complex. It's kind of strange. There's some strange symbols in it. There's some strange things that happen only on that day. But four things I want to share with you that I think we can say with certainty about the day of Pentecost. First, The necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit was predicted by Jesus. It was predicted in advance. They didn't get it. But if you go back to John chapter 3, and I hope everyone in this room has read John chapter 3. If not, that's your assignment for this week. John chapter 3 is this very famous secret interview, this clandestine time where Jesus talks to this very... Uh, a very important um, um, leader of the Jews, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is afraid to talk to Jesus publicly, but he invites him to his own home, and they talk privately. And Jesus says several things, but here's one of the things he says to Nicodemus. Quote, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, over the years, you've heard me say that I prefer not the term born again, which is in verse 6. I like to say born from above. If you're a Christian, you're born from above. But it also could be translated born by the Spirit. You're not a Christian today unless the Spirit of God has come into your life and has changed your mind and heart. 
And if you are a Christian, that's what's how, that was the power that God used to do that, along with the word and the preaching of the word or the study of the word or the hearing of the word in some, some fashion. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14 and 16, Jesus has a lot of things to say about the Holy Spirit. But let me just read this, what he says. Before he goes to heaven, he says, I, am, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now that's a little tricky. At that point in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit had not come into their lives in the same way that he's come into yours. And you can go to John chapter 7 and understand that Jesus said the Holy Spirit cannot come into you fully until I am glorified, until I have done all the work of it and accomplished all the, the, the work of redemption. I meant to mention this little book it is such a beautiful title. It's called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's uh, written by one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, John Murray. I'm not sure, Jim, have you ever, have you, you taught on this book? Well, you've taught things like this. John Murray, this brilliant theologian, wrote this book for Sunday school classes. And it talks about what did Jesus do, but then how is it applied by the Holy Spirit? just a little book you may want to get it and, and read it and it'll be a blessing to you but until Jesus was glorified the Holy Spirit's function was a little bit different still was working in their lives still causing him to believe but was not in them in the same way that we, he would be after Pentecost she said Jesus says for the Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in when we say we invite Jesus into our heart, that's all right, that's, that's correct. But really what comes into our heart, who comes into our heart is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives with us. The Bible says in many places, you, you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that's really not the point for today. Jesus says in, in chapter 16, I tell you the truth, it is good that I am going away. Now, can you imagine his disciples believing that? Yeah, right. You're going away and that's better? Well, it was. Because the disciples could do more with the Holy Spirit in their heart than Jesus could by himself on land if he stayed, stayed on land and, and preached. Because he says, if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus told his disciples in advance, the Holy Spirit must come. My second, certainty. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost with power to bring new life. Jesus used the word another counselor. He said, he will be with you. Now, it's hard for us to use a, a personal third, per, third person pronoun for the Holy Spirit. You know, we sometimes want to say it, but that's wrong. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's, it's harder for us to understand the Holy Spirit. It really is almost impossible. We just have to believe what the Bible says. Believe what Jesus said. Jesus was a counselor. He was going to send another counselor. Now the counselor was going to be the Holy Spirit. And he, that is being a person, the Holy Spirit, he will be in you. 
The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to give believers power of a new life. What we have had is different than what the disciples had until Pentecost. I think that should be, we should, we should just kind of stay, wow. Kind of think about that. I have something that Peter, James, and John didn't have those three years then when they were walking right beside Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, the divinity, the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit are described with the words wind and fire. Listen to verse 1 and 2 again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now there was a wind and there was a sound and it filled where they were. You, those of you that, well, that know me know that I like, the, like Greek and, and Hebrew words occasionally. And, and, and sometimes it's fun. It's, it's, just, it's just, just fun. The word for spirit in Hebrew is the word ruach. I hope I have enough liquid in my to get that. To get that word out, ruach, it's a hard ch sound. It's the same, really the same letter that Hanukkah is. But anyway, it means three things. It can be translated three ways. It can mean wind. It can mean breath. It can mean spirit. Ruach. Practice that some when you get a chance, okay? But what's fascinating, we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So the word ruach is there, and the, word, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for wind is panuma. You know, it's uh, where we get the word pneumatic, except we don't say panuma. You can't, we don't put the, it's a sound, the, the Greeks spell, uh, pronounce the P, okay? Panuma. You know, what's interesting is those words, you can't say ruach without some breath. And if you say panuma to someone beside you, uh, they might even feel your breath. <laughs> see, that's why I want you to remember those things, see. But listen to this. Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Ruach Elohim was, was there in, at creation. But then one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is chapter 2, Genesis 2, 7. Listen to this. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him, the, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became nefesh hayah, a living being. The spirit of God is the spirit of life, the spirit of power, the spirit of being we're created in the image of God, and I know you've been going through a series about that. You know, we, we exist because we, we really were created by the breath of God. But at Pentecost, the Spirit of God is going to come in in a new way and cause our lives to be changed. 
Jesus said in chapter 3, back in chapter 3, and as you read Pentecost, go back and read chapter 3 of John and see the two together. This is a beautiful allusion to what's going to happen at Pentecost. Jesus tells Nicodemus this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Why did Jesus choose you to believe? Why did he choose Herb Ruby? That is the great mystery for me. And God's sovereign grace chose us through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us new lives in Christ. So in Pentecost, we, we see that the Holy Spirit is going to come in power to do creative work. That's that wind that was blowing. There was also fire, tongues of fire. And I don't want to go into that in detail at all, but just to say that fire was a sign of God in the Old Testament. Not of destruction always, but you know, how did God speak to Moses? How did he call Moses? In a burning bush, in a flaming fire, God spoke in his bush that didn't, wasn't consumed. How did God lead the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? And how did he protect them at night? He, he had a wall, a pillar of fire was there for them either to follow or for it to be between the, uh, between the Jews the, 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 in the Exodus and the, and the Egyptians that were after them. So both the wind and fire at Pentecost are symbols of the Lord Jesus being present in power by the Spirit at Pentecost. My third certainty. Now it starts to get mission-oriented, okay? The Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost initiates God's plan to bring people from the whole world, from the whole world into his glorious kingdom. Up until now, the, the people had been in this little tiny nation called Israel. This little, this little a group of people that had this rare language called Hebrew that very few people could speak. Only a handful of people did. Now, Arabic is similar, and, and Aramaic is similar, and, but Hebrew is very, very tiny, little, little country. Pentecost is going to bring the, the Lord Jesus Christ's message to the whole world. Let's look at the spectacular phenomenon known as tongues of fire. Verse 4 through 6. All of them, that is those disciples and the others were there with the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, or as a footnote in my Bible has, that word tongues can also be languages. I prefer the word languages. I'm going to use that. Now, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, here is the important detail. At Pentecost, this is a pilgrimage feast, remember. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven, it says. Well, that's an exaggeration. That's a, a way of describing it. But from every nation where Judaism was, around the world. And there's going to be a, a circle. Um, uh, Luke, writing Acts, is going to make a circle of nations with Jerusalem in the center, he's going to describe to the east there was Persia, Babylonia, and Assyria. They were Jews from those areas. From, from, from the north, I'm good this way. North, 
his, his Asia Minor, Pamphylia, Cappadocia, um, Phrygia. To the south is Egypt and, and uh, Arabia. To the west is Libya, Crete, the island of Crete, and most significantly to the west, Rome, where they really spoke Latin. Now these people, thousands of them from foreign countries, they're not Israelites by, by, by where they live, okay? They don't live in Israel. They're Jews, but they don't live in Israel. But from all around the world, they've come, and they're going to hear Peter show them from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're going to hear that. And this is, this is they're going to hear initially these people talking to them in their own native language. They're going to hear Assyrian over here. They're going to hear Persian over there. They're going to hear Latin over here. They're going to hear Egyptian over there. They're going to hear their own. They're going to hear the disciples talking about the glory of God in their own language. And they're going to say, wait a minute. These are untrained Galileans. How can they do this? Well, I, I, I have a question for you. <laughs> Again, I like to have fun with the Bible because it's, it's really cool. It, to see that, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, the Bible is true. You can know it's true because it has details in there that have nothing to do with really the storyline. If someone was making it up, they wouldn't throw these things in there. Okay? That's one of the, one of the evidences. You know, I said, well, the Bible isn't true. But you can just tell them, well, yes, it is, and I can give you some evidence. I can go to Acts chapter 2. Why did, why, why did Luke put this little detail in? That these people were amazed that Galileans could speak a foreign language. Now, they were hearing their own language. This was the Holy Spirit supernaturally enabling these disciples from Galilee up north, and they were speaking the language. Well, let me give you a little illustration. My wife and I, some years ago, went to, went to Paris. And, of course, you have to go to the Louvre, the famous art, art gallery. And you have to see the Mona Lisa, right? And we were told that the Mona Lisa is what everybody else wants to see. And so we got there right at the time in the morning when it opens. And we walked as fast as we could to the other side of the Louvre. And we got there, and there was probably about 20 people in front of us. <laughs> and we were a little disappointed because there's this great big room about... Oh, maybe a third of the size of this room for just one painting that's about this big <laughs> and covered with glass. Anyway, so, so we see the Mona Lisa. Okay, we've done that. And so Shelley's, she says, I want to see Venus de Milo. You know, Venus de Milo is that white sculpture of Venus without any arms. Okay. So, so there's attendance everywhere in the Louvre. And so Shelley took four years of French in high school, and she was really good at French. And so, with her best French accent, she went up to one of the attendants and said, Où est la chambre avec Venus de Milo? And the French attendant said, Well, you go right down the hall and turn right. <laughs> and then, again, with her best, with her best uh, accent, Merci beaucoup. And the person said, You're very welcome. <laughs> In his best American accent. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I, 
How'd they know we were Americans? You know, we are really good at, at hearing people who speak a little different than us. We pick up those things really well. And so I think Luke just kind of threw this little detail in here because you remember the guy Peter. Remember Peter? Wasn't his best day. The third time he denies Jesus. There's a man who points to him and says, wait a minute, that guy was with Jesus. I know him. He was a Galilean. Now, how did he know that he was a Galilean? Because he had heard him speak. And the Galileans, I did a little studying, the Galileans don't pronounce the H's in the Aramaic language. And so they had, I don't know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but kind of a hillbilly accent. I don't know, you know they were up from the hills way up north. And most Jews looked down on the Galileans because they had an accent. Now, before I go any farther, let's look at ourselves. Do you look down on anybody because of their accent? From the Northeast, from the South, from, from Minnesota, Minnesota, or Hispanic accents? Or, you know, do you look down on people because of their accent? Think about what the Lord would want you to be doing about that. This, 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 that's, a, that's an aside, okay? That, that was for free. That was, that was just. <laughs> but I think Luke added this little detail into the story to enhance the bewilderment of these people. These people were so amazed that these Galileans of all people could speak in their language probably perfectly without any accent. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to do this. Now, that didn't continue. That was the unique thing that happened, I think, on the day of Pentecost. And we should be amazed by that, but not be afraid of miracles. Not be afraid of a God who can do miracles. So don't give up on that person you're praying for. God can do miracles. And by the way, this is an aside. When you get to heaven, what language will you be speaking? You think it'll be English? I had a professor that was absolutely convinced it would be Hebrew. I think we can make a case for that. What's the language of the angels? What language do they speak? When I was thinking about that, you know, I was reminded of a song I love dearly. I can only imagine, you know the song? Where this guy thinks about his dad being in heaven. He can only imagine. And one of the lyrics in that song is he says, will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? In the presence of the holy God, will I be able even to say a word? Will I just drop down to my knees and worship? Fourth and last certainty. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to empower every one of us. 
If you're a believer here today, Holy Spirit came to empower you personally to be an individual witness of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that happens in Acts chapter 2. Forget the tongues and all that other stuff. Holy Spirit came to give you the ability, the power, the, 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 the strength, the courage, the, the words at the right moment to witness that, you're a, that you believe in Jesus. Now, what does it take to be a witness? You have to have a seminary degree to be a witness. You have to know every book of the Bible to be a witness. No, to be a witness, all you have to do is say what you know, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. I, I, many of you have heard me say this before. I, you know, I, some of you are really good at conversations and, I, and making conversations quickly. I'm not very good at that, so I've had to work at what I'm going to say when I get a chance, and I want to be able to say, if someone talks about the Lord with me, I want to at least be able to say this. Jesus changed my life. You've heard me say that before, some of you. What's your go-to line? What can you say? What, what, how can you witness? Are you prepared to witness? You see, that's what Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes to give individual ability give us the individual ability not only to believe but also to be a witness. And what was so amazing about Pentecost is that God brought in that day at Pentecost people from all over the world heard the sermon from Peter but believed in Jesus and then went and started worldwide evangelism from that day forward. That's what happened at Pentecost. That was the result of Pentecost. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, the devil, his, one of his, besides trying to ruin our lives and make us be miserable, if he can, and the way he makes us miserable is by tempting us to sin, and so we... So we feel out of fellowship with the Lord as a result. But anyway, one of the things he loves to do is to keep your mouth shut when you have an opportunity to witness. And so I can, I can look at this and I can say, okay, Acts chapter 2, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You say, well, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, you have. Oh, yes, you have. We can talk about all kinds of water baptisms, infant baptism, believer baptism, all those kinds of things. But the most important baptism a person receives is that baptism they receive when they accept Jesus as their Savior. And they are baptized in that moment by the Holy Spirit. And that baptism sticks. Here's my proof text. Ephesians 4, 5. Paul says, there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. He says it maybe even more profoundly in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, 
whether Jews or Greeks, free or, or, or slave, we were all given the one spirit to drink. If you're a believer, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you can't use that as an excuse not to witness. That's, that's a negative way of putting it, but I, I just want you to understand that, okay? Satan can do tricks with our minds and try to talk us out of things that we, we, we can do. Secondly, Acts 2, 4, seven, uh, 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Excuse number two. Well, I, I don't need to say this because I am not filled with the Holy Spirit. Did a study of that in preparation for this message. You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the more difficult ideas in the Scripture. God doesn't give us a whole lot of information about it. He really didn't. So here's, here's my analogy. If you're full of yourself, you won't be filled much with the Spirit. Now that's putting it in the negative, right? If you're just full of yourself, there's no room for this being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit implies humility. It implies being dependent on the Lord. Being filled with the Spirit is continuing to want to please the Lord and to be like Jesus. If you're having those feelings, you're having those thoughts, it's because the, the, you're being filled with the Spirit. And so... To be a witness, we're simply to share what we know, share what we've heard, share what we've experienced. It doesn't have to be some supernatural uh, thing happening to us inside for us to do that. You're already empowered. You're already, you're already there if you know Jesus. Ephesians 5.18 is the greatest verse about being filled with the Spirit. And you know how I like to, to quote Greek verse tenses sometimes. You know, it's just, it's, I didn't know grammar in high, in high school. <laughs> I had to go to seminary to understand verbs. But, but to be filled with the Spirit is a present tense verb. And what that means is simply this, continuous action. You're not filled with the Spirit once for all and then that's it. No, we are to continually be filled with the Spirit. We're to continually be to asking the Lord for his help. We're continually to, to desire the things that he desires. We're going to continue to be concerned about our neighbor. We're going to be concerned about our loved ones or those who are sick. We're going to continue to be like Jesus. And as we feel that and as desire that, we're being filled with the Spirit continually. Continuous action. Well, I'm... Finally, at the end. <laughs> and I want to just ask you a couple questions before I leave, before I stop. Where is your mission field? Where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Samaria? I've read that each one of us probably has a hundred people that we know by name or that know us by name. There's your Jerusalem. 
And I would encourage you to do, I'm just going to give you one thought. And I've been doing this for a couple months myself. For, from now until December 31st, will you consider praying for three or four people that don't know the Lord? Try to do it every day. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you to think about who you should be praying for. And also ask the Holy Spirit to, be, to prepare you in case you meet them and have a chance to talk to them, that he will be able to give you an opportunity to share something about Jesus. As I close, I want to just share this, some, this with you. Have you ever read the last chapter of Acts? Some of you have. I know, Tom, I think you've taught the class. Some of you have taught the class. It kind of ends without an ending. Did you ever notice that? You know, it says that Paul is preaching and teaching, and it's it kind of, you know why the end, there's no ending to Acts? Because it's still going. You and I are part of that story. You and I are part of that story of the church being a mission on mission to, to witness for Jesus Christ until Jesus comes. And until he does, may we be doing that, knowing that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. There's nothing we could ever do or say to repay you for what you did. But also, Father and Son, th and Son, thank you for sending your Spirit into our hearts so that we have you with us wherever we go. And Lord, there are going to be challenges for each one of us, but there's going to be opportunities for each one of us. Each one of us has a Jerusalem of our own. Each one of us has people that we know that we love who may not know or love you. So in the weeks ahead, may you hear our prayers empowered by your spirit to be a testimony and be a witness to you, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.